Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Read just four verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Passage that on first reading, if you don't read it and meditate upon it, would, have, would, would appear to make little sense and is somewhat difficult. I'm gonna, I hope this evening that we can break this down and, and really make some sense out of what Paul is saying to the Philippians and consequently to us. It reads in this manner from the King James, if therefore if, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I've entitled the message tonight, Christian Unity, and that probably doesn't make much sense either when you compare it to these verses I read, but I hope you'll see that before the evening is over. Last Sunday morning, I preached a sermon dealing with the golden rule. It's said that we should do to others as we expect others to do to us. That is the pattern of living that is expected of a Christian. It's just expected. It's expected by the unsaved world as well as by the saved, by the church, it's expected, by our neighbors, it's expected that a Christian will do to others in manner as he would expect others to do back to him. The overall theme of some messages last Sunday's tonight, and I've got at least one more on this general theme, is the marks of a Christian. What you really look for and expect out of a Christian. You know, the church is getting a lot of publicity, a lot of press. It has now for several months. There's a lot being said, as well as not being said, about the church's or stance on some of the human rights issues, such as abortion. We probably are not as firmly implanted in our own position as we ought to be on some of these things. I don't know if you're aware or not, but there are people going to jail uh, from our churches across the nation because of their opposition to, to uh, the abortion issue and to other human rights 
are being opposed by the world on drugs and alcohol and all of those abuses, how we see other people and what rights they have or don't have, the church is taking a stand. I'm saying the church in general. We as American Baptists have taken a very strong stand against abortion. It's in writing. We have it as part of the policies of the West Virginia Baptist Convention that we strongly oppose it. But because of our position, there are many of the news agencies that are not giving the church a very good light, a little criticizing Christian people, as though we were against uh, women's rights, and uh, as if we were uh, opposing the right of people to choose their own lifestyle as far as marriage is concerned when it comes to homosexuality. They're playing us down because of our strong stand. Then we're getting bad press because within the ranks of the church, there have been many things happened that have uh, shown us as to be less than we are expected to be. When we're through that trauma with the bakers and drivers, Others, we were pretty well laughed at with the ivory tower that somebody went to pray and the promise that if he didn't raise $8 million, God was going to kill him. I laughed at that as well. I really hoped that he would not raise the $8 million because I wanted to see if God would was worth killing if that really was his word. I'm being a little facetious in that. I hope you can understand. We've been looked upon sometimes as lacking stock, but primarily because our deeds do not match our creeds. That's the real cause of our being looked at in uh, less than favorable manners. If we do not follow the golden rule and present ourselves as a body of people that does what we say, then we have no comeback if we're lacked at, if we're stopped, if we're ridiculed. If we are ridiculed because of our stance for something, then let the ridicule, we'll take it. We all take it. This is the thing that Daniel uh, was involved in when the people in that kingdom said, we can't find anything wrong with this man unless we find it in his religion. If somebody wants to ridicule you because of your strong stance on your beliefs that you back up with actions, then take the heat. Let them ridicule or whatever they want to do. But it's unfortunate that most of the time the ridicule that the church gets doesn't come from, from that angle, but from our lack of being what we say we are, or a lack of doing what we say we believe. And so we find ourselves in a bad light. Another one of the things that I want us to look at tonight is really what should we expect? 
labels and identify this person called Christian? What are some of the things that you would tag him with? You probably like me would say, well, I would tag him with a person who is faithful and going to church, which is pretty good. I would say he is a person who prays. Well, I can't argue with that one. He gives up some of his finances to church, and we go on with all those things that we would label Christian. But the Bible spends more time on other issues than, than these, and one of them that it deals with is this thing of unity, togetherness. So we're not divided. All one body we. So it's one of the hymns that we sing. Church is one foundation, as a matter of fact, we say it like that. But the church is in danger of really falling apart. We're discovering that the mainline denominations of the United States are no longer the larger ones. And that there are smaller charismatic groups coming along and pulling away from our churches and gathering members from the established churches and starting new groups. Names that I never heard of are springing up all over everywhere. And where do they get their people? I dare say that, they, that their nucleus is not new converts off the street. But they are the people that are being drawn away from this church and away from that church and another church and forming a new body. Why is this happening? Well, there, there are many reasons for it. And maybe one of the reasons that we'll not deal with tonight is that the established church has lost contact with reality and is not meeting the needs of people. I hope that we're not one of those groups that really don't address the needs of its congregation. And so some of those will, will pull away and go somewhere else. And some of it is because of, of uh, being attracted to it. And I'll deal with, with that just a little bit later. Well, we seemingly, as a church, are, are falling apart, uh, and other groups are coming in and taking over. Even amongst Baptist churches, the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, has been a strong denomination for a long, long time, back into the Civil War days. They are the largest denomination uh, in, in the United States, but they're falling apart at the seams, and we know that we have been doing that. Uh, and why is it that we are falling apart? I think probably it's because we have failed to keep ourselves united in focus upon what our purpose really is. We're breaking down in fellowship, and we're, various groups are saying, I can't associate with you or with you or with you because you see things different than me. And, and this is causing people to uh, look stance at us and wonder just what's going on. What is there about certain groups that makes them so elite that they can't associate with anybody else? And we have denominations, and ours is not one of them, fortunately. We have denominations that just can't possibly associate with anybody else. They are, quote, independent, and they need, they don't get along with anybody, period. I'm glad they're independent, because I can't get along with them either. Uh, and, we, and there are lots of those who are calling themselves Baptists, independent Baptists, independent usually means that you're not very sociable. And yet the gospel is very sociable. Jesus was a sociable person. And he taught people to come together and to love and to be a part of a body. And yet we are falling apart in, in those areas. Well, what causes all of this? I want to suggest three things that cause this falling apart in this 
established church. The first one I want to mention is, is selfish ambition. Too many churches are have people, particularly at their head, who are uh, selfish in their desire to succeed in order that they might better themselves. I don't think there's any question, at least not in my mind, that this was Jim Baker's downfall. He was so ambitious to become big and important that he, he got lost in the process and, and fell from that position. There are others who are so ambitious and bodies of people who want to be the elite and, and the, the seemingly the only ones that have a corner on the gospel. And so they become very selfish in what they do. They're not interested in the gospel being spread. They're only interested in the advancement of their own little organizations. It really doesn't matter who wins somebody to Christ as long as there's one. And we ought to be glad for that. We ought to be as different bodies of churches out here reaching the lost and not going out and snatching here and snatching there to make up a congregation. And yet that type of thing is happening. There is the selfish ambition and many preachers fall into that problem of wanting to be the biggest preacher in town. I'll never forget walking down the streets, and I probably told you this, a Parkersburg on one occasion with the nurse that worked with me. And we were meeting a fellow walking down the street, and she said, that guy is a Pentecostal preacher. I said, how do you know? She said, I can tell by the way he walks. I happen to know him. He was, in fact, a Pentecostal preacher. She didn't know him from Adam. She was a Catholic she didn't know him at all, but I knew him. She was exactly right. She pinned him. He had an air about him that said, I'm going to be number one, the greatest preacher in this city. And he had that appearance, and he had that air, and he had that attitude, and she pinned him without even knowing who he was. Well, that's interesting. But that's one of the things that causes uh, this disunity is that somebody wants to be number one and is not willing to be a part of the team. Whenever you find people who want to be number one, you've got to have somebody else's number two and three and four. And if you've got a whole bunch of number ones, then you're going to scatter. This happens. I would have had it happen to you. All right, the second thing is personal prestige. Personal prestige. I don't watch very much religious programming on television. Number one, I'm never there when it's on. But number two, if I were there, I wouldn't be watching it with the exception of one or two. I would watch Charles Stanley.
everybody knows him. It's not our job to build ourselves up and have personal prestige. It is our job to point out Jesus Christ. He must increase, as John said, and I must decrease. It's only as Christ increases and man decreases are we doing what we ought to do. This causes discord. Therefore, we don't have the unity that is necessary. The third thing is a person who concentrates on himself. When a person begins to think about himself, he forgets about everybody else. And this happens. I don't know if you paid attention to those three things, but let me give them to you again and see the common uh, thread to them all. I, the first one I said was selfish ambition. Selfish is the key. Secondly, I said personal prestige. Personal, going back to the individual again. Thirdly, I said concentrating on self. Did you notice? Self, self, self. All the way through. That's what causes disunity when self becomes so big that one cannot be a part of a body. But he wants to stick out and be more valuable and more recognized and have more money and more influence and advance himself. Then he's going to create discord and disunity and take away from the body of Christ. That's what's happening. Well, now, see that warm up. Now I'll pray. Go to scripture. I want to read it from the Living Bible. Because it help, I think it helps us. The Living Bible is not a literal translation. It was not intended that way. It is intended to be a translation to give us the content, the meaning, uh, without, uh, and, and therefore the words have, have not necessarily followed the exact translation. So that was never intended that way. But we get the meaning out of the Living Bible well. And the Living Bible puts verse 1 all in question marks. This is what the Living Bible uh, translates verse 1. Is there anything, well, let me start over. Is there any such thing as Christians cheering each other out? I can imagine Paul may have been a bit discouraged at this point in time and wanted cheered out. And he looked around the church and couldn't find anybody that was giving him a good word at all. And so he says to Timothy, isn't there such a thing as Christians cheering other people out? Surely there ought to be. Then he goes on to the next question. Do you love me enough to want to help me? He's the one who established the church. He's been preaching to them. Do you love me enough to want to help me? I think that's a pretty good question the church needs to ask itself. Do we love each other enough to want to help each other? Really? If we do we're united. If we don't, we're going a different direction. Next question. Does it mean anything to you that we are brothers in the Lord sharing the same spirit? Next question. Are your hearts tender and sympathetic at all? Are your hearts tender? I find it very difficult to believe that a person who is hard-hearted has much of the spirit of the Lord in him. I find it very difficult to believe that a person who cannot and will not forgive could possibly say, I love the Lord. That's hard to equate. On one hand, to say, I'm hard-hearted, I'm not going to forgive you, no, sir, you're not going to do that, and turn right around and say, oh, Lord, how I love you. Because if you follow the pattern of the Lord all the way through the New Testament, he was compassionate, and soft-hearted, and tender, and generous, and loving to every person he met. Never once, to a person who was in need, or down, or a sinner, did he condemn. 
said to the woman that had been brought to him who had been in a darkest situation, I don't condemn you. Simply as use that only to illustrate the fact that the Lord was a very tender-hearted, compassionate, forgiving individual. And if a person is going to claim that same kind of spirit in himself, how can he possibly be unforgiving and mean and hard to his brethren? We've got to be soft-hearted. So we have disunity in our midst because there are some who are soft-hearted and some who are hard-hearted, and obviously the two groups can't work well together. It is soft-hearted people who are the people of the Lord, not the hard-hearted ones. That doesn't mean that we ought not take a stand. And Jesus certainly took stands over and over again, and he made it plain what was expected. But when a person fell from that position, when he could not fulfill what was expected, the Lord did not condemn. When the person came, the Lord forgave, the Lord moved, the Lord loved, the Lord hung. Sinner, in every case. That's got to be the approach of the church. And if we don't do that, we're going to be seen. By the world as people who are not soft-hearted. Now, look at verses. Let's start at verse 2. He's asked all these questions. Is there anything that a Christian, uh, any such thing as a Christian chewing another one up? Do you love enough to help me? Uh, does it mean anything that we are brothers in the Lord? Do we don't share the same spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic at all? Then he says, assuming, of course, that he's getting a yes answer. All of these. He says, then, make me truly happy by loving each other and agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, working together with one heart and mind and purpose. There is the appeal that Paul makes for the church to be united. Now, let me hasten to say that it is not necessary that we always agree to be in union. We can absolutely vote differently on different issues and still be united. We can disagree without being disagreeable. It is when a person becomes disagreeable that he demonstrates an attitude not consistent with Christian principles. When he will not love and rule and bind and heal, when he wants to tear apart and separate and divide. That is not a demonstration of Christian unity. And the Lord expects of his church that we be one body, united. There is a hymn that we sing, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. What is that? But agreeing upon our heart's condition and our service to the Lord. We may disagree on theology. We certainly know that we as Baptists believe that the way our baptism is immersion and Methodists will sprinkle and Presbyterians will pour and others will dump forward three times and others will do other kinds of things. And these are the issues that have divided many, many groups of people. Our different approach to passages of Scripture is fine. We can disagree. We don't all, even this congregation, agree as to whether or not once a person is saved, they're always saved. That really, uh, in the long run, doesn't make any difference. As long as we believe that our sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary, we are united in that effort. Other issues 
with other people. I don't think that we can say we love Christ and say that we're better than others. Neither do I believe that we can say we love Christ and demonstrate a hate for others. For a Christian to say, I hate you, is contradictory in terms. We can't do it. A Christian can't hate. He does. He certainly has gone way beyond what the Lord expects of his children. So to live in this unity with our Christian brothers, regardless of what church they might belong to, is contradictory to what the Lord expects of us. And brings about bad press because the world, though it doesn't comprehend all that it says, is certainly saying, after all, we're all going to the same place. listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets dot podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.